Well, I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 61. Psalm 61, starting at verse 1. To the choir master, with stringed instruments of David, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you truly are our rock, our refuge, our strength, our high tower, our ever-present help in trouble. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, to give his life, that those who would trust and believe in him would have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, giving the gifts of repentance and faith, and bringing your children from death to life. Father, we pray that you'd enable us to give you all praise, glory, and honor now and forevermore. In Christ's glorious name, amen. amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 380, Crown Him with Many Crowns. and sigh, which 
time of prayer and confession of sin and pronouncement of pardon, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll first be reading verses 13 through 17, and then after the prayer of confession, reading verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you again for the reminder that you are holy, holy, holy. And that you have called your adopted children to be holy as you are holy. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, has died on the cross as to pay the full penalty for the sins of all the elect, satisfying your holy, just wrath on their behalf. Father, we thank you that his righteousness, his holiness has been imputed, reckoned, credited to those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. So, Father, again, we want to humble ourselves before you to acknowledge that you alone are our strength, our hope, our peace, our joy. Our very lives are hidden in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we want to 
confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. Those times where we, where we did conform to the passions of our former ignorance. When we found ourselves living according to the old patterns of the flesh and the, the deceptions of this world rather than the freedom and truth that are in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we want to take this time to confess to you these sins in our hearts and in our minds. First Peter chapter one, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have been made alive through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, know this, you are forgiven. You are loved. You have been justified. And there is no longer any condemnation over you. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, for our time of confession of faith, we continue going through the third and fourth main points of doctrine of the Kanzador. This Sunday, we're looking at Article 3, total inability in and of ourselves, total inability based on the doctrine of total depravity. So I invite you to read with me Article 3, total inability. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God to reform their distorted nature, or even to dispose themselves to such reform. Neither willing nor able. Again, a reminder that salvation is completely a sovereign, monogenic work of God. 
where he alone does what he does according to his sovereign will, love, and purpose. That's the root of all our gratitude and all our praise and worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, Father, we thank you for you have stretched out the heavens and the earth. You have made everything that has been made, spoken. Everything has been made through and by and for your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, how amazing you are. Father, we pray that you would remind us that you are all-powerful, all-knowing. That nothing can separate your children from you. Nothing can separate us from your love if we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us for your love if your Holy Spirit dwells within us. So, Father, we pray that you would grow us in such assurance, such peace, such joy, such gratitude and thanksgiving that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in him, trust in him as their Lord, their Savior, their righteousness, their life, that they would not perish, but they'd have eternal life. So, Father, we pray that you would help us grow your children, grow your elect in that assurance, that peace, that strength, that joy. Father, we pray that you would comfort us. For in this world we have tribulation. Well, Father, as your son Jesus Christ made clear, the world will hate your children. It will hate the church because it hates you and your word. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, to proclaim your word, to lift it up. For thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Well, Father, we pray that you would help the church to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Father, we thank you that there is freedom in your truth and only in your truth. So, Father, we pray that you'd continue not only to enable us to to lift up and proclaim your word, but to to hunger and thirst for your word. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in our knowledge and understanding of your word through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts and minds with your word, fill our mouths with your word, that we would think of your word, speak of your word, So, Father, we pray that you will help us to be living sacrifices. Oh, Father, we pray that you continue to transform our minds so that we would discern what is pleasing to you, what is glorifying to you, and help us to live according. Father, we thank you that you've given us new hearts. We pray, O Lord, that you'd continue to, to grow us in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to grow us as you've promised to sanctify us. You'd continue to grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we pray that you would grow us in these fruit of the Spirit so that you would strengthen our marriages, strengthen our families, strengthen our church body here, that you'd continue to enable us to reach out, to be ministers of reconciliation to the lost. So, Father, we thank you. Father, we do pray for our church We pray that you would help us to be of one heart and one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. Father, we pray that you'd grow our love for you first and foremost, so that our love for one another can increase all the more. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to encourage, correct, rebuke, exhort, build each other up, spur each other on into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessing that you've called and drawn us to be a part of a local body, seeking you, seeking your word. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to serve one another, to consider the interests of others, not only our own. So, Father, we pray that you would help us, grow us in what it means to pick up our cross and to follow giving all glory, praise, and honor to you and to you alone. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would strengthen, be with those who who lead and who teach. Father, we pray that you would help us to equip the saints for ministry. Oh, Father, I pray for each and every one of your adopted children who are part of this congregation, Father, that, that they'd be equipped for ministry that you would grow them to understand the gifts and abilities and calling you've given each and every one of them to be a part of your kingdom work, reaching out to the lost, building up the saints, growing, hungering, thirsting, and having our blessed hope in the glorious return of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us and guide us. Help us, O Lord. Fix our eyes on things above, not on things below. O Father, we pray that you would remind us, remind us that we are pilgrims and sojourners on this earth. O Father, so many things that distract and hinder and trip us up when our eyes are not fixed on your Son, Jesus Christ. And when we forget that we are pilgrims and sojourners. Oh, Father, this is not our home. This is not our land. How we long for your son, Jesus Christ, and his return. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us and guide us. Help us to know freedom that comes from these truths. Father, we do pray for those who who are in a time of illness or weakness. We pray, O Lord, that you will continue to be their strength, their comfort, and their hope. 
Father, we do continue to lift up to you, Marcia, that you would be her strength and peace. Father, we pray for grace, oh Lord, as she's experiencing more pain. Father, we pray that you would just be her comfort, her peace, her strength. We thank you, O oh Lord, how you to continue to grow her in the faith. Father, we thank you for how you hold your saints in your righteous right hand. Father, we do continue to pray for, for Wendy's mother and her sister-in-law. Father, we pray for, for comfort and healing and strength. We pray for Dee Dee in the midst of her current treatment. Oh, Father, we just pray for wisdom and guidance and strength that, that you would direct her eyes and Andy's eyes to your son, Jesus Christ, in all these things. Oh, Father, we do pray we pray for our families. Oh, Father, we pray for the children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Oh, Father, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives. Father, we pray for all the marriages represented here. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to represent Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, Father, grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. And Father, we pray for the lost. Oh, Father, we pray for those who we cry out to you. Oh, Lord, according to your purpose and plan, that you would give eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would transform their hearts and minds. So, Father, we pray that you would use us, that you'd bring other believers into their lives. Oh, Father, we pray, help us to be bold, to be patient, to be loving, and to remain true to your gospel as we reach out to them. Oh, Father, we thank you. And it is because of your grace, mercy, and love that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to please rise and read with me our passage of scripture for this morning. As of now, this is our last passage in John before we transition in preparation, Lord willing, to 1 Thessalonians. First we'll be, Lord willing, looking at Acts leading up to that. So here is the conclusion of what we've been looking at in the Gospel of John, building up, leading up to, and now in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So please read with me John 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, 
was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, being lifted up. The one who so humbled himself that he would be born, that he would take on flesh, that though he lived a perfect and holy life, that he'd be persecuted, mocked, crucified. And Father, we thank you that your word makes clear that he is risen, that he is ascended, and that he's returning again. So Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth of your word. We are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in your word. Your word is all-sufficient, all-authoritative, inerrant, and infallible. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the truth. For to know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. Excellent. Well, I'd like to invite any children who would like to, if you would want to come up to the front row for the children's message at this time. Excellent. Well, we are looking at a very important passage of Scripture. And in this Scripture, we hear about Thomas. Thomas. So last week, we learned about when Jesus was raised from the dead, and he came, first he appeared to Mary Magdalene, then he came and appeared to the disciples, those who were in the upper room, 
But Thomas wasn't there. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. That's why it's important to be in church. Thomas wasn't there. He missed out. So he isn't there. So eight days later, Thomas is there. Now, why do you think Thomas didn't believe the others when they told him that they saw Jesus? Why do you think he didn't believe What do you think? So he wasn't there. So he didn't see it with his own eyes. Is it hard for you to believe things when you don't see it with your own eyes? I know it is for me sometimes. Sometimes. Oh, nice. So sometimes it's really hard to trust and believe something you don't see. So that's kind of what this passage of Scripture focuses on. But did you notice in the passage that we read together, it said this. Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see him, but truly believe in him. Jesus even prays that in John 17, chapter 17, where he prays for those who will believe in him who have never seen him. Have any of you ever seen the risen, ascended Jesus Christ? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I haven't either. But the Holy Spirit dwelling within me gives me such faith and trust that I know that he is alive and that he's died for me. And he is my life. So that's my hope and prayer for each and every one of you, that you would have that same trust and that same belief that even though you don't see Jesus with your eyes, you know that he's alive. And that's where faith is. And that faith is the saving faith that gives us hope. So let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that that though we have not seen your son, Jesus Christ, with our, our physical eyes, that you give the gift of faith and belief in your word and in your son so that we can know that he is alive. Help us, grow us in our faith. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. You guys have that. So we are looking at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. As I said, so this is eight days after Jesus has been raised from the dead and Thomas was not there when Jesus came the first time. So this is John chapter 20, starting at verse 24. I'm going to start reading again. Now Thomas, one of the 12, so one of the 12 disciples, who was a twin, he was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, he needed to not only see, he had to actually physically touch. This is what he's saying. 
This was more than seeing. This is flesh, blood, touch, see. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What an amazing statement. I will never believe. Well, if you look back at Luke chapter 24, you see what it was that the disciples experienced when Jesus appeared to them. So this is eight days before what's taking place now in John 20. This is when Jesus was raised. You see, they got to have such a forensic, diagnostic, visible, physical experience with Jesus Christ. They, they got that. So if you look at Luke 24, Luke 24 captures it the best. Luke 24, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, so now again, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is when Mary came rushing and told them, and they did not believe her. And they're locked in the upper room. So this is Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. So they literally got to experience what Thomas is saying, unless he gets that same experience, that same tangible seeing with his physical eyes and touching with his physical hands, he won't believe. That's what he's requiring, what they got. So again, Luke 24, verse 39, this is Jesus speaking, and Thomas is not there. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, so even with their physical eyes, they see the marks from the crucifixion. With their hands, they can touch and explore these wounds. They still can't believe so Jesus has to even go further. That's why he says at the end of verse 41, have you anything to eat? No mere spirit or apparition or vision can tangibly, physically consume something. So this is the ultimate proof Jesus is giving that he is truly raised with a new resurrection body. So verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. So that for them was finally, ultimately enough 
evidence and proof that they would trust and believe. Remember, what you have to remember about Luke 24 and John 20 is this is before Pentecost. This is before Acts chapter 2. This is before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So this is of vital importance to remember that. Thomas also is one who is always presented as the most skeptical again and again throughout the Gospels. Where if Peter was the most bold, you had Thomas as the most skeptical. If you look at this, go to John 11. Here's this other scene where where it's the same Thomas, Thomas the twin, and it's the same Thomas, and he is just, let us just go die with this guy. This is literally because there's there's no way we're going to make it alive through this. So this is John 11. John 11, starting at verse 7. This is when Lazarus has died. And Jesus is revealing to them that they are going to go back to Judea, which they had left because they want to kill Jesus there. So that's why they left. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. So John 11, verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Remember, that's everything for the Gospel of John. That's everything for the Bible. The purpose of the scripture is to be the light, the truth, and the life for those whom God is saving to bring into everlasting life. So John keeps repeating it, and that's how the Gospel of John ends. That's our last passage. In John chapter 20, verse 29, you see where it says, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And then John 20, verse 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. That's the whole purpose of the Scriptures, is to lift up Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus is saying in verse 15 of John 11. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, here's his commentary on this strategy and method of Jesus. Verse 18. I mean, verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. End statement. That's that's Thomas. So that's how Thomas is continually portrayed in the Gospels. He's one one of the 12, but you have this constant, again, when you get to John 14 and Jesus saying he must go and 
And it's Thomas who says, well, we have no idea how to get to the Father if you leave. It's just this constant questioning and, and, and pushing. Now, So what's so amazing in John 20 is it's showing how does Thomas go from that he believes in Christ, he trusts him, he's one of the, one of the apostles, he's one of the disciples, but he constantly has this skepticism, this, this hard skepticism. How does he go from that to making one of the greatest proclamations on all of Scripture, my Lord and my God. And that's the highest worship statement you can make concerning Jesus Christ. So that's what we're seeing here in this passage. So again, verse John 20, verse 25, where this is Thomas's response, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Verse 26 of John 20. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and now Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's a command that he is rendering to his disciple. We have no idea, the text doesn't reveal whether Thomas takes hold or touches the wounds. We have no idea. What the text does is go directly from that command by Jesus to verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That's it. That's what John says. That is how one is saved. That is how one goes from just condemnation, the wrath of God, eternal conscious torment, hell, because of our sins, going from that to being loved, adopted, having the gift of eternal life, indwelt by the Holy Spirit to give Christ all praise, glory, and honor forever and ever and ever. It all comes to that. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? That's everything. That's everything. Nothing else can compare to the importance to that. Nothing else. Oh, the world tries to make you think there's a whole lot of things that are more important than that. But it's a lie. This is the most important thing, not only for each and every one of us, but for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, everyone we encounter, whether it be a family member or a stranger or whoever the Lord brings across our path, this is first and foremost everything that is the most vital reality of that relationship or that interaction or every moment of our life is that. Does this person know that Jesus Christ is Lord and God? That's everything. 
Every conversation, every thought, every focus of our life is based on verse 28. That's it. Because our very lives are hidden in Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes the second time, he comes to judge. The first time he came to save, the second time he comes to judge. So Jesus makes this powerful statement. And it's verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What an amazing statement. That is literally Jesus Christ pronouncing a blessing on everyone here who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on you. And not only everyone here, everyone throughout the history of the church who has came to faith and repentance who have not physically seen Jesus Christ. We see this is what Jesus prayed in John 17. So if you go back to John 17, he's going to speak of the same blessing and the same vital importance of trusting and believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's John 17. It's vitally important that the disciples, the apostles, truly believe because when the Holy Spirit comes, remember, they are going to be sent just as Jesus was sent. The Father sent Jesus, and then Jesus sends those who will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who trust and believe in him to proclaim the gospel. But first and foremost, the apostles are sent not only to proclaim, but to write the New Testament, that that unique, special role of the apostles that were given. So that's John 17, verse 8. John 17, verse 8, Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, and he's speaking of the, the vital importance of those who will not see, but who will be given the gifts of repentance and faith of belief. John 17, verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me. This is Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. And they have received them. This, the first they there, and they have received them is talking about the apostles. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, verse 18 of John 17. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And then verse 20, you have Jesus pray for those whom he is blessing in John 20, verse 29. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
This is this powerful reality that Jesus Christ has ascended and he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So the church, the body, his body on this earth is the church. We are the hands, the feet, the body where he is the head. We are the ones who are sent, indwelt by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the living and active word, his word, the word of God. And that's how people are brought from death to life. That's how the blind receive sight. That's how those who are deaf hear. That's how those who have stony hearts are given hearts of flesh to believe. That's how those who have hard, rock hard, diamond hard hearts and minds are able to come to faith and belief. Through the Holy Spirit bringing the rebirth, through the proclamation of the word, God's living and active word. So that's how important the preaching and teaching of the word is. That is lifted up as the means that God brings about the salvation of the elect, of every tribe, nation, language, and people. And that's the blessing that Jesus pronounced in John 20, and that's the prayer that he prays in John 17. Again, John 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's the whole description of coming to faith that we have in Romans 10. If you go to Romans 10, you see that same vital reality of how someone is saved. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9. Here the Apostle Paul is making this vitally clear. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's what Thomas does through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the command of Jesus Christ. Jesus turns to Thomas and commands him, stop disbelieving, but believe. And he is given the ability, just as when Peter was able to pronounce Jesus as Lord. Thomas is able to do it through the power of God. My Lord and my God. This is what Paul says in Romans 10. This is what happens when every human being who goes from death to life through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of the word. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, that is a true, sincere confession. That isn't just lip service. It's what you truly believe. That's why I confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. The confessing described in verse 9 is the overflow from the heart. Overflow from the heart. There are too many that make confessions that have nothing to do with the true, sincere beliefs of one's heart. So we see Paul is, Paul is defining this very carefully. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, truly, sincerely believe 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 of Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now you have, starting at verse 14, the same description of Jesus praying in John 17 that he is sending the apostles and they will proclaim the word and we will not only have the Old Testament as the word of God, but then we'll have the New Testament also as the word of God. And this living and active word, as it continues to be proclaimed, generation after generation after generation will continue to bring about the salvation of the elect. Romans 10 verse 14 asks this vital question though. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Quoting from Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, Paul, as Jesus, gives only one method and means of the lost of being saved. You notice that? Same thing. That the people of God who are truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit proclaim the word of God. That's it. That's everything. That's all sufficient. That's all authoritative. That is the way. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Of that truth, that vital truth in the word. Because if we really have a a hunger and desire for the lost to be saved, (laughs) then what should consume us is praying, preparing, and sending. Praying and preparing and going. Whether it's to the ends of the earth or to our coworkers, or our neighbors, or the lost people in our community that God keeps placing in our path, or the one-off stranger the Lord brings into our midst for a few minutes and we may never see him again the rest of our life. What is our heart focus, our mind understanding of every opportunity? Oh Lord, how? How can I be used by you that if this person belongs to you, that I could lift up your word, lift up your gospel so that the Holy Spirit will do what only the Holy Spirit can do and give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they would say concerning Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. Because apart from that, they go to hell. Hell. Eternal conscious torment. Eternal conscious. Separated from everything that is love, everything that is good, everything that is gracious, everything that is merciful. 
only torment, torture, horror. They have to believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their God, that he is their Savior. That's everything, every relationship the Lord gives us, every every child, every grandchild, every great-grandchild, every coworker, everyone God brings a part of our path. What is to be our consuming prayer and desire? Oh, Lord, that they would know your son Jesus Christ as their Lord and their God. Because apart from that, they have nothing. Apart from that, their life only ends in eternal conscious torment. That's it. That's why that's how John ends the Gospel of John. Again, John chapter 20, verse 30. This is, this is it. This is how the Gospel of John ends. This is it. This is the whole point. John 20, verse 30. I love how John says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs. He wants you to make clear, you know, we, we've just barely, barely scratch the surface of who Jesus is. So if you read the Gospels and you think, wow, it's amazing who Jesus is and what he did, well, that's the proper response. But, but here John is saying, you know, you, <laughs> you just know a, a small percentage. Isn't that amazing? That's how far beyond our comprehension Christ is, even for the disciples, even for their time with him. So John 20, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Remember the description? If everything Jesus had done was written down, remember what the scriptures say? This earth could not contain that amount of data. It's literally what it says. The earth could not contain the volumes written. That's how beyond comprehension Christ is and what he did in his incarnation. So again, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the suffering servant of Isaiah, the eternally begotten son of God, sent. That's what Christ all entails. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There it is, true Life, eternal life. That's everything. That's how John summarizes the purpose of everything. It would make sense then that when you get to 1st John, the same author as the Gospel of John, as of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you see how John summarizes this in 1st John. If you turn to 1st John chapter 2, you have just another expansive explanation of why John is writing. 
1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 24. Here is John instructing the church and teaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's teaching, he's writing these words. This is God's breathed out word through John, the Apostle John. 1 John 2, 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So let that gospel message, let the word of God that brought you from repentance, from death to repentance and true faith, true life, let that word abide in you, the word of Christ. Let Christ abide in you, his spirit abiding in you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That's that, that, that unity within the Godhead because the Holy Spirit, one of the members of the Godhead, dwells within you. So, so you, you are abiding within that love and truth and eternal redemption in the Godhead. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Again, if you go to chapter 5 of the same, same book, 1 John chapter 5, look at verses 11 through 13. Again, these are vital explanations of this last verse of John 20, verse 30. So 1 John 5, starting at verse 11. And here again, Paul, uh, John is ending this like he ended the Gospel of John. 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's it. So what John wants to do through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God's word is intending is this. If you truly trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that the Spirit dwells within you and, and, and you You've examined yourself and, and, and you, you see the fruit of the Spirit where, yes, you still sin and you, you still have your struggles and you, you, you still have your weaknesses. But, but you, you see a true desire to live for Christ and, 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 and you are convicted of your sin and, and you know that, that your peace and your joy is in Christ. If if that is what you, tr you believe and you trust and, and, and you know that, then John wants you to know <laughs> you have eternal life. He wants you to have 
assurance and peace and joy that no one and nothing can take away from you. He wants you to have that. But John also, God's word also, if any of us have assurance of eternal life in anything other than true, sincere repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, if any of us have a false assurance for ourselves or for someone else, then John wants you to be troubled. He doesn't want you to have any assurance, any peace, any joy. That's literally what he's saying. If someone does not believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, if they are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, no hope, no peace, no joy, No life. No forgiveness. Apart from true faith. That's what John is instilling in us. We have to remember this. We have to remind ourselves by this. Because the world, the devil, and our old flesh want to lose into many false comforts and false assurances, and false peace, and false hopes concerning ourselves and other people. Remember, all the world wants to do is suppress the truth. All the devil can do is lie, kill, steal, and destroy. And our old flesh that wages war against us daily, and daily means all day, all night, at all time, that daily just meaning that we're we're at this constant war, our old flesh is waging against us, is to take our eyes off of the one Lord and God, Jesus Christ, the one Savior, the one name that only is found salvation, the name of Jesus Christ. So how John ends the Gospel of John and how our time looking in John of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how I want to end it is is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on things above, not on things below. Remember, 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 the gospel is the only way of salvation. How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches? How will anyone preach unless someone is sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Remember that. With your lost family members, your lost friends, your lost co-workers, with the people around the world who haven't heard the gospel, remember that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul calls every believer a minister of reconciliation. Every believer. Every believer. Every member of the body of Christ is to be equipped to present 
the truth of Jesus Christ, the hope that you have, the gospel to build up other believers and to reach out to the lost with the gospel. Every believer, every one of us who are in Christ, we are called to be about the vital reality of John 20, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the beautiful reality of 1 Peter chapter 1. I just want to end reading this blessing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Blessed be to God. So he's giving this blessing to God. Because in John 20, Jesus just blessed those who would not see him but believe. So now Peter returns this blessing. And again, it's about faith and assurance and conviction in what is not seen. Remember Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that's what faith is. That's the definition of faith. So that's what Peter does. And he, he pronounces this blessing back to God for this blessing that Christ has given us in John 20. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Don't you love that language? That's the language of a sovereign God who says, you are mine. Causes us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, it's unseen. Remember that. Remember, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Peter speaks of this. It's not seen, but it is more real and tangible to us than the things that we see of this creation. 1 Peter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible 
and filled with glory. That's it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. No matter what the persecution, no matter what the affliction, no matter what the tribulation, no matter what the hardship, you love him because he has first loved you. And you believe that because it's real and it's true. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. How amazing is the inheritance that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Oh, Father, we thank you that not only have you given us the gift of faith, you guard us through the faith. And Father, how we long for the time when our faith will give away to sight. Oh, Father, how we long for the return of your son, Jesus Christ, when faith will be no more and we will see him face to face. Our greatest love, our very life. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to please rise with me and sing number 227, How Great Thou Art. Yeah.
receive the benediction the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all I invite you to close with me with the doxology
Go in peace.